Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers. Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260. The Horn. A good text on the uh, text line to start the final hour on this Tuesday. It says, Preach. Micah Parsons does great against crap teams and big games. He disappears. Super overrated. When's the last time he dominated in a big game? And that's uh, obviously get the same knock on Dak Prescott, too. On the other side, you can't have your two best players. Um, we just Shrink, again, shrinkage in the big moments? Shrinkage. We just saw it this past weekend where uh, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, I mean, no bigger players, but big-time players play big in big games. That's just yeah. the way of sports, and it's every sport. And, uh, you know, until you do it in the biggest of games, you get uh, the conversations yeah. like we do about Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott. That's where Brock Purdy's now got a new narrative because he's done it in the biggest games. Um, even though he didn't play great the whole game, he played great when they absolutely had to have it and actually kind of carried his team to two big wins. I believe Michael Parsons only has two combined pressures in his last two games versus the Packers, if I'm not mistaken. Because he only had one in this past game, and before that, the uh, last time he played the Packers, he had one uh, pressure. So two pressures in the last two games versus the, the Packers. And one in a must-win game in the postseason. Yeah, you need Micah to to be more of an impact player in those situations. So I don't know where Jess, like I said, Jesse Ali, the things he said. That was just the beginning of it. He he goes on for like five minutes. Wow. <laughs> he goes on for a long time. I sent the clip to to Ty. I'll send it to you too. He goes on for a while, and he gives in some details about you know why he thinks Micah is selfish and that kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he's right, but I do believe that message for me to be a former player. And he's a former player that now is considered an insider for his former team. And for him to make comments that are as pointed as those were, just to call the Cowboys' best player selfish, like I said, he either got that firsthand from somebody he trusts or that is coming from somebody in the organization he trusts. And I think it's coming from somebody in the organization because you don't, you don't get that personal unless you know. To call a guy selfish. You know, I mean to say he's not studying. You to say somebody's not studying and is selfish, those are those are things you gotta get from first hand accounts. And I get from people I trust and know before I go on the airwaves as an insider of the Cowboys, the people who trust my opinion and give that opinion and say, Oh no, best player for the Cowboys, he's selfish. And he don't well, study. It's like, it's like when the uh the story came. He also went on to say he doesn't have players at his house. Like he doesn't host players for like dinners. He he went into some detail here about stuff. Wow. He had like a little list he went through. Well, like, so you don't get that list unless, and you don't go off like that as a former player. I'm telling you, as a former player, you, you, you put yourself in a position of Micah and you think, man, if somebody's going to criticize, like, man, you better know. You better know I'm selfish if you're going to put that out there. You better know I'm not studying if you put that out there. And, well, and you're going to be confronted. <laughs> and Micah, but Micah has refused to, uh, to retort, to respond. He said he's not going to respond to that, even on this podcast. Which also is a little intriguing because he responds to everything. Yeah, he's, that's also a little right. That's interesting. Like, oh, you know, you respond to everything. That's the whole point. He's got podcast. rabbit ears typically. And now he's not responding to something that is so close to home in his own backyard about him specifically. Something's up with it. I just don't know what it is. Uh, that is well. Look, remember when it came out on Kyler Murray that he wasn't studying his playbook, and that came out of his contract. Mm-hmm. Like they put it in his contract, and that was leaked. Um, you know, the, the front office has their ways, uh, and you've got to get messages across. And if, if the coach isn't getting – if Dan Quinn's message isn't being heard, 
sometimes you have to um, make it hurt. Now, you know, is would would would, would Holly be that guy to deliver the code red? Is that is that something he's willing to do? Clearly, because you know if he's wrong, Micah Parsons is going to confront him about this. You'll be They're Micah gonna... Parsons' enemy for the rest of the time <laughs> he's in Dallas. Then. Yes, right, right. If you're wrong about this. So hey, you're saying some very personal things that you have to have yes. firsthand awareness of. You get past the, the the critique of his play on the field here. We're talking about him as a his football character, he, selfish. Then you know wants to win for Micah. You know uh, you know wants to be great for Micah. Doesn't have then host players at his house. You know doesn't want to stu- doesn't have study groups to play. I mean he's he's getting very specific and personal. Well, I, and that's what would lead the conspiracy theorists to be that if it is Jerry Jones or Stephen Jones trying to because they're about to negotiate a massive contract for this guy yep. and you, you don't you need him to be all in mm-hmm. if, if you're going to make him one of the highest paid if not the highest paid player on defense in the National Football League he better be doing all those things exactly he better be because that's what it takes if you're going to go where you want to go but. You know, because, you know, Dak Prescott does all those things. He does. He's just – He's not that talented. He's, he's not as talented he, as Micah. It's not Micah Parsons <laughs> yeah. when it comes to talent. Yeah, and you that's need Dak's a, football character with Micah's talent, and you go, whoa. Well, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly it. Whoa, that is it. You're right. That's it. Welcome, welcome. That is, yeah. We're looking at it right now. That is Patrick Mahomes. Well, and that's where – you know, it's funny, everything surrounds, or surrounds Dak Prescott, but it's why the Dak conversation is – in the AFC, you've got to beat Patrick Mahomes. In the NFC, you don't mm-hmm. until you get to the Super Bowl. Nope. So you almost feel for Lamar Jackson, and you feel for Josh Allen, for crying out loud. He can't beat that guy, Tua now, but no one does. I mean, it's going to be a C.J. Stroud problem he's got to deal with mm-hmm. as he evolves at Houston. Yep. Somebody's got to beat that dude. Uh, in the NFC, to get to the Super Bowl, you don't have to beat that dude. And, and the last two years with Tom Brady leaving and Aaron Rodgers leaving, Drew Brees, it's been, a, you know, Matt Stafford has been the it's guy been, you got to beat it's now. Been and a different, it's been a different team though every year pretty much, Yeah, right? no, it's been Stafford, then Brady Jalen Hurts. Brady came, it hurts now. Yeah, yeah it's Purdy been, there for, you, been yeah. there for you. And that's, that, that's why I think it's pretty clear. I'm not expecting Dak Prescott to take a next step and become anything more than, than Alex Smith, which is who I compare him to. And they're both two and five all-time in playoff games, uh, playoff starts, um, and very similar. Uh, you know, speaking of another guy that's in that realm is Kirk Cousins, yeah. who is uh, is about to. He's smart though. He just pay his him and his agent are just brilliant. At well, being he's able about to, to get paid. Remember, he, he played the, the, the market. He played man. the franchise tag and twice. I just read a report this morning that he's about to price himself out of Minnesota. It's like they can't afford him, and so he's going to hit the free agent market. And he's going to do well. There's oh. going to be a team that's going to pay Kirk Cousins. He's going to kill it. I mean, he's like, so he, he he had the franchise tag twice. That was when he was with Washington. Remember when he came to Minnesota? He signed a fully guaranteed deal. Oh, I know. Uh, was, $99 million. Yeah, like 90 fully million, guaranteed three deal. Three years, $90 million. And now he's free agency again and get paid. How old is Kirk Cousins? Because he's gotten basically paid in the free market like five times already. No, he's at the, so four times. This will be uh, He is – Born in 1988, like 36. Damn. No, he's not that old. He's 35. Yeah, 35. That's 35. brilliant, though, man. Think about that. Free agent, he hit the uh, the he had the uh, franchise tag twice, so that's essentially that's technically kind of free agency because you get paid. You get top, guaranteed money. Yeah, you get that top 10 value at that position, whatever it is. Uh, and then he went to the, the Minnesota Vikings, got paid there. And now I'm not sure if he got an extension with the we'll Vikings. We'll see where or not. he goes. I mean, there'll be teams interested in a quarterback starved league, no doubt. But you know, the Dak Prescott conversation is interesting with. Uh, I, I was just thinking about this because Alex Smith is, is my comp for him. And I, this is not a knock on either player. I think they're both very good players. They're just not elite players. Uh, and so I mentioned when, when Jim Harbaugh took over the 49ers, he had Alex Smith. And it was supposed to be a rebuild. They went 13-3 and three in year one with yeah, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. But he realized, I need a better quarterback. So he went and got Colin Kaepernick. 
um, Andy Reid had Alex Smith and said, you know, he's good, but we need better. So he went and got Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. This is where the Cowboys frustrate people because they don't see that they need to replace their quarterback. They do. They've needed to, but they haven't, and they're about to re-extend the guy. Whereas good football minds like Andy Reid and Jim Harbaugh realize pretty quick, yeah, it's a good player, but we can do better. And that's where Colin Kaepernick came from when they went to the Super Bowl. And then, of course, we know what Patrick Mahomes is. As you say all the time with your quarterback drafting habits, if you're not looking for the next guy, you're not going to find the next guy. Nope. Can't happen. Nope. And if you convince yourself you don't need the next guy, then you're flawed, the Cowboys. Flawed logic. Flawed then logic. you're the Cowboys. Yep, because we've seen this happen not just with the, the names you just mentioned. The 49ers did it. They looked at Jimmy Garoppolo and said, all right. See you. Good, but not good enough. Yeah. Let's try to move on. Trey Lance, uh, screwed that one up. All right. Hey, Brock Purdy, kid, gives a chance. And we saw the same thing. Philadelphia did that multiple times and thought they thought, oh, man, looks like Carson Wentz is going to be the guy. Actually, I'm not sure. There's some question marks there. Drafted well, Jalen Hurts. That, to, to me, that's, that's, what, that's what good organizations do. That's a good organizational habit to constantly be critiquing yourself. 100%. Constantly be saying, are, are we are – we, exhausting every possible option to improve this roster and this team at every position. Well, let's, let's not forget who Alex Smith was. Alex Smith was the first pick of the draft. Number one overall. And Jim Harbaugh said, eh, not good enough. We can do better. We can do better. we got to do better. <laughs> and then, you know, Patrick, I mean, Andy Reid said the same thing. Uh, we can do better. Uh, the Cowboys have got a fourth-round pick who's shown to be a fourth-round pick. He's a good player. But they don't try to do better. Uh, now, the Trey Lance move. Could be they a tried. move in that direction. Yeah, that's true. Good point. And that, that, that's going to be, you know, I don't know how they can not do this, but if they don't extend Dak Prescott and they eat the, the big number, um, that will tell you a lot. Because, you, you know, if you – because, again, it's a $59 million cap hit this year. Uh, you probably can't absorb that and without reworking it. But if you rework it, then you're married to the player even longer, yeah. and eventually it's going to get you. Is this the year where the Cowboys say, you know what, we're going to suck it up, and we think Trey Lance can be our starting quarterback. Yeah. We think Trey Lance was the right move, and he's going to be the guy. I know, but you, you just brought up these one-one examples, right? Alex Smith drafted first overall. And look at look at Jerry Goff. Sean McVay said the same thing. Sean McVay got to the Super Bowl and said, "Did Sean McVay sit back and go, you know what? We were really close with Sean with uh, with Jerry Goff. I just got to keep plugging away." He said, "No, I need a I need a quarterback with a higher ceiling. I need one right now." And he went and upgraded to Matt Stafford. Guys, this is the story all over the league. If the Cowboys, the Cowboys, this is my problem with the Cowboys. I don't think they study the league. I don't think they study trends and patterns in the league because too oftentimes they make moves right, that are actually kind of counter to what the positive patterns and trends are in the NFL. And what I mean by that is studying the successful teams and just replicating what they do. Well, the, success, the, the Green Bay Packers of the world, the 49ers of the world, the Eagles of the world, study those organizations and, and, and try to replicate their good, positive organizational habits. Cowboys do not do that. The Trey Lance thing, as you pointed out, there's a step in the right direction. It For is. the most part, they have operated in a silo and in, in almost in their own bubble. They, that, that without studying true. the rest of the league. They're very insular, yeah. uh, without a doubt, and that's been the Jones family way for a long time. And look, at all not to – beat the, the, the broken record dead horse. It's all the way back to that's what the Jimmy Johnson divorce is about. That's what Jerry Jones wants. He wants it to be done his way. He is, does not want outside. He can give it to his son, and then Will McClay can help build the draft board and those kind of things. But at the end, it's, it's his way. He knows how to win because he's done it. He just don't want to do it that way. <laughs> I don't want to give it to Parcells. I don't want to give it over to Jimmy Jones and have them get all the credit. I want the credit. Yeah, baby. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I, I'll be interested because obviously if they the, the reports have been they're working on a long-term extension for Dak. If they do that – you're just signing up for where you are. I mean, you're you're just you're you're admitting that you're not going to be 
I'm, I'm not worried about walking to Dallas anytime if they re-up Dak Prescott for the long haul here. No, sir. Uh, but, you know, that's where it stands for the Dallas Cowboys. I, I, you know, and, and then uh, to your point, teams that, you know, replicate other organizations, you know, we, we see what the 49ers have done. And now we just watched the you know the Houston Texans hire D'Amico Ryan's and then oh, he yeah. hires Raheem Morris is doing the same thing in yeah. Atlanta, uh, coming in from Sean McVay's staff. Detroit and Lions. Detroit Lions. They just did, 100%. man. Hundred percent. Had a GM, Brad Holmes, and yep. everybody, everybody's aligned on the same page. That's what you do. That's what you do. And uh, that's well, look at the the teams that are still playing this past weekend. That's how they're they're aligned and built uh, as good structural organizations. Uh, and only one yeah. team can the win. Chain of command. You always talk about that. Got to have it. <laughs> that well, that's in any. And, that's in any. And a lot of a lot of the reports now, though, E, are that that's why Belichick and that's why Vrabel are at home. 100%. Because they did not necessarily want to respect the chain of command. That Vrabel wanted too much power and wanted a lot of personnel uh, power, and we know Belichick. That's just the way he operated. And even though there are teams in, that are owners who are letting the uh, coaches pick, like Jim Harbaugh's picking his GM, Shannon got a chance to pick his GM, those guys still respect the chain of command. Like, Shano works well with – he's aligned with John Lynch. They work well together. Well, yeah, he got to help kind of hand-select him. Yes, and Vrabel hasn't shown the ability to work well with the people he selects. You're going to pick somebody. I need you to work well with them. Well, look at <laughs> look at Jim Harbaugh. He just hired uh, John Harbaugh's director yeah. of player personnel because yeah. his brother has told him, this is a guy you can work with. You're yeah. going to like this guy. Uh, now he's coming to L.A. You're right about that. And Vrabel, Belichick for sure. Listen, I said this when Atlanta was talking to – Bill Belichick and Arthur Blank, not you know Atlanta. Really, was Arthur Blank the owner? He had a, you know a, an idea that that could be a good idea, but you know Rich McKay is their team president, right? He's he's you know there's a lot of reports he doesn't like Bill Belichick. He's been in those competition committee meetings. He was a part of yes, you know sure. investigating DeflateGate and investigating Spygate. Um, he's been a longtime league executive, and he's like, I don't I don't want to work with that guy. So you kind of knew it was going to come down if Arthur Blank wanted to hire Bill Belichick that. Rich McKay's probably out yeah. um, because, as we said, you know, Belichick wants to answer directly to, to Arthur Blank, yep. which is what he had with Robert Kraft. Mike Vrabel, I think, after getting sideways with two different GMs in Tennessee, you know, wants, wants that opportunity it's too. It's a Belichick deal. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think Vrabel's probably disappointed that this Gerard Mayo thing got put into place and is like, man, that would have oh. been my spot. I could have gone straight to Robert Kraft. It and, was so ideal. And dang oh. it. Dang it. Oh, man. Gerard Mayo. But he had no chance to get that because you so pointed out. That was okay, – that was, that was the place before the season started. Yeah, that was in the contract. So he he, he had no shot at that. That would have been so perfect, so compatible. You got Belichick light with Vrabel, basically. <laughs> well, that, there's a, there, again, you just said it perfectly, that uh, you know, good organizations are looking to copy what good organizations are doing. I think that's in any business. Like, what, what are they doing that we're not, that we can steal and kind of do it our own way, but still the general philosophy that's working for those organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, the Bill Belichick way – in working right now. It ain't. No, not without Brady. We know that Brady was the secret sauce to the Patriot 100%. way. And you don't have that. You know, I mean, Houston, Bill O'Brien tried to replicate it in Houston. That didn't work, you know, or he was mm. Mr. Everything, didn't oh. answering to the owner. That was terrible. Now they've got the right structure in place, and now yeah. they're back in the playoffs and in great, they're heading in a great direction. Obviously, we know it'll never change. <laughs> somebody said the great <laughs> text earlier. Uh, somebody said, somebody uh, jokingly earlier on a text said, uh, at least Jerry is aligned with Jerry. <laughs> that's true 
<laughs> Jerry is aligned. Jerry is aligned with Jerry. Listen, the Cowboys do have better alignment though behind the scenes than they ever had with Will McClay. That's uh, that's one hundred percent true. Jerry, like they make now they follow the draft board. Remember Jerry used to he he used to make they used to make a draft board and Jerry would come in and freestyle the draft. Quincy Carter, yeah, baby. Yeah, it's like no Jerry, we we spent months on this draft board. All right, the ton that thousand thousands of man hours on this draft board. And you're going to come in here and freestyle the draft? No, that's not how good organizations operate. And now Jerry respects the draft board. You know, that was no Johnny Manziel thrown out there and like that. Nope, they went with draft board says Zach Martin. That's where they're going. Michael Parsons, draft board. All right, he's the best player on draft board. Go draft board. They've done really well there, which is why they had nine all-pros. Yes. More all-pros than any other team in the league. Guys, you're going to look at those uh, those awards, the uh, postseason awards for the NFL. I want to say the Cowboys have more players as candidates um, who are up for those awards to any other team. Like for the Offensive Player of the Year, you got C.D. Lamb, MVP, there's Dag, Defensive Player of the Year, you got two of them on there for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, it's loaded. Talent is not the issue in Dallas. Well, listen. It's not. I will tell you <laughs> <laughs> that uh, all you – uh, for, for to your point of Jerry Jones and now trusting the draft board, it's when they started to build their roster and, and get more talented. All you have to do is listen, look at their history of first-round draft picks. We know what they did when Jimmy Johnson was pulling the trigger and, hire, and mm-hmm. drafting the right players. Start with 95-96 uh, when, when Jimmy was gone. They didn't have a first-round pick in 95 or 6 because Jerry traded it. Of course. Then they had David LaFleur. Oh. Greg Ellis was the best pick he yeah, ever made at number one. eight. Ebenezer Ekubon. Oh, I remember him. Then he had no first-round pick in 2000 and 2001 because he traded him for, for Joey Galloway. Oh, it was a Galloway one. Joey Galloway. It was a Roy Williams one later, isn't it? Yes. Oh. And then, he, and then after those two no picks, and by the way, in this mix, he drafted Quincy Carter in the second round to be his quarterback. <laughs> then guess what? He hired Bill Parcells. Oh, Parcells. Bill Purcells. Purcells. And who did he draft? Terrence Newman, DeMarcus Ware, Marcus Spears, wow. Bobby Carpenter. Um, the draft picks got better. They got way and better. And then, then Parcells was gone, and then they were bad. You got un- <laughs> undrafted Romo out of there, didn't you? Undrafted, undrafted Romo, Romo showed up. Bring yeah. him up in there, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, bring in a football guy. The football guy's no football. And he did that with Will McClay. And that's what he's doing with Will McClay. Now, yeah. at least we have a guy. That's true. I don't know. But he, he, we know he undercuts the coach the, by the way he general manages, which, again, chain of command. Uh, medals. But he can't hire the right coach. Listen, nothing wrong with Mike McCarthy. He's a good coach. But we've talked about it, too. Because of the um, the chain of command, the very non-traditional chain of command for the Cowboys, there are coaches who wouldn't want to coach, who are big-time coaches, who may not want to coach for the Cowboys. Like, you may not have been able to get a hardball because he's like, no, no, I, I, I don't want to work for that organization because I don't want Jerry Medley. So I think that also the culture of the Cowboys may keep you from better opportunities, potentially. Good stuff right there. All right, Cowboys, always a conversation. Super Bowl is in 12 days, and we're still trying to figure out why the Chiefs are a favor or an underdog in this game. Uh, I mean, I think I know why. Niners are a really good team. But Patrick Mahomes is an underdog after coming through Tua, going through Josh Allen as an underdog, going through Lamar Jackson as an underdog, beat uh, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles as an underdog last week, or last season in the Super Bowl. I think I might want to lean Patrick Mahomes. I'm not picking against the guy. I told you he's 9-3 and three now in his career as an underdog in any situation, regular season or postseason. <laughs> uh, it's just, you just brought up he's 3-0 and oh in the postseason as an underdog. This will be the third game in a row. The Super Bowl will be where he's an underdog. If the line holds, I think the line has shifted from two and a half, uh, them being a two and a half point underdog, to them now being a point, uh, point or a point and a half underdog. But either way, I I don't pick against Patrick Mahomes, man. It's just it's not smart. 
It's just that it's smart. The numbers don't the numbers don't lie. It is a bad decision to pick against Patrick Mahomes when he's period, but especially when he's an underdog. Yeah, so I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, I, I, it's and it's the same exact point spread as it was a year ago. At least at this point, the Eagles are one. Well, we're one and a half point favorites at kickoff, uh, and of course they won 38. The uh, Chiefs won 38-35. Right now, the Niners are a one and a half point favorite in the Super Bowl. Yeah, like I said, Patrick Mahomes, man, he's money. Especially when he's a, he's a dog, man. I'll take him. It's the sixth. I think it's the, this is the sixth time. Sorry, this is the yeah. This game coming up will be the sixth time. Well, he's not a three-point underdog. He's a two-and-a-half, so I take that back. This stat doesn't apply. But he's been a three-point or more underdog six times, um, and he's 6-0. and oh. <laughs> <laughs> You just, like I said, you know, eh, don't, that guy is an underdog. He, he shouldn't ever be one, honestly. That's, that's, why that's what I, I'm saying. That's what like, stats like, say. He should never be one. Yeah, so, and if he is one, take him. Take him. <laughs> take, take those it right points. now. Take them points. Take them points, brother. That, that's what it's basically we're telling you right now. Take them points. We'll answer for that later if he if they get beat by more than that. But I mean, at one point the Forty ers were up ten points on Patrick Mahomes uh, in that Super Bowl four years. Was it four years ago? That long ago? Yeah, four years. Damn, Super Bowl like fifty four. Uh, hey, but yeah, up ten points on him in the in the fourth. Hey, and by the way, Rod, uh, doubling back to a conversation earlier, you did attend the Super Bowl twenty four years ago today. By the way, yes, twenty four uh, years ago today, the Tennessee Titans. That was at the, the Georgia Dome. Yep. Um, in Atlanta, it was and cold. It, and you said it was an ice storm kind of thing. Yeah, it was cold, man. It froze How'd over. How'd you get to that? Because you went with Sims. You went with your, your, we went with Sam. We the wood, with, right? Your, yeah. your, your three best buddies. Yep, it was Sims, Shano, I mean, Boskies, uh, and uh, myself. And Boskies. Boskies, yeah, sorry. Boskies, Boskies, uh, Montreal Flowers, also part of the wood. So the whole wood went, and I believe it was, I think it was a combo. It was either Sims and uh, Mr. Shanahan that got us the tickets, or one of those guys got us tickets. But I think maybe they both did. They kind of like pulled their. And you guys were at Texas at the time. Yeah, we were playing for the we still at, We were still at Texas, uh, and we had to like go through compliance and stuff because it was like a pre because it, it could be considered like an impermissible gift, benefit yeah. or whatever. So we had to go through compliance because we were a pre-existing relationship and friends and stuff like that. But it was great, and that was my first Super Bowl. Um, and then after that, as a player later on, I went to the one in Houston. You remember that one? It was the Patriots Super Bowl? Yep. Uh, that one in Houston. I went to that one, um, and then I went to the one in Detroit. And the Detroit Super Bowl, and I think that's 2006 or something like that. And that was Seattle uh, and Pittsburgh. That was the Seattle-Pittsburgh one. Yep. So, I missed some good ones, though. The, the, the first two I went were really good. The, the first that's two a I good went one. Now, now, I've covered a bunch of Super Bowls, but I, I always leave before the game. Because you got to get oh, back yeah. to do a show Monday morning. Yeah, right? that's true. Then, you know, yeah, I was you never can't. working. <laughs> yeah. I was never um, working. So I covered the Houston Super Bowls, both of them. Oh, that um, was a great one. Which were great. I went to New Orleans for the, Ra- the Harbaugh Bowl. I was in New Orleans. Oh, the lights went out? Yeah, with Beyonce. Yeah, Turned the lights that out. That was fun. Well, oh, that, that was great halftime That show. was Harbaugh and Harbaugh. That was Beyonce. Yeah, that was a great halftime show. So I got to see Beyonce up close. when she They, they always bring in the uh, Super Bowl halftime talent on Thursday mm. to meet to Radio Row. And she does, they do a big interview. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you got to see the, you got to her, and then who else was came rolling through there? Uh, Lady Gaga at one point got wow. to see her up close. That's and pretty badass. Uh, you know, the best one was Shakira and J-Lo. The- <laughs> Ooh, the hips don't lie. Hips don't lie. But the Harbaugh Bowl in 2013 with the Ravens and Niners was uh, – you know what the big story there was? Was the guy that had something called deer antler spray. Oh. And Ray Lewis. Yes, I, I remember that. The- time. Yeah, you told me that. You used to yeah. take the deer antler spray, and that guy was a nut job. <laughs> I remember this, and it was like whether it was uh, – Is that illegal? Uh, or the 
performance enhancer. Well, that's what they were trying to determine. Yeah, was the, it, it was on the band list, band yeah. substance list. Yeah, and Ray Lewis was taking it to try yes. to get, get back from an injury to play yes. in the Super Bowl. Yes, there you go. And we all learned way too much about deer antler spray at the time. Way too much. (laughs) What was the conclusion? It's definitely not legal in high school, is it? I I had no idea at the time. I will say that. Were you spraying it under your tongue? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I believe it was a banned substance when they looked at it. That stuff, it it was insane. I'll I'll say that. Well, and did it it help you with anything? Deer antler spray? Well, you know, I I, I didn't really play that much. So it was more just for the, uh, it was for deep snapping, essentially. Deep snapping, deer antler spray. I played in every game that I was healthy for, but mostly special teams. So it was more just to see what happened. Yeah, and Ray Lewis denied it because it was banned. So he kept denying that he used it. Oh, yeah, and the wacko owner said, no, I gave it to him. Yeah, he's like, I gave it to him. (laughs) Because he wanted to sell more of it. I was like, oh, no. Because that guy wanted to – because Ray Lewis was going to play in that Super Bowl. So he wanted to be able to claim. That was his last one, I helped him get back, yeah. Yeah, it was his last one, yeah, no doubt. And and the previous one he was in, two people ended up dead. So it was bad. There you go. (laughs) Was that right before? (laughs) What, the 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 dead guys? Well, no, it's – no, that no, was in Atlanta. No. That was in that Atlanta. That was in Atlanta. That was the white suit. Remember, he was wearing a white suit when he went out, and a guy got stabbed or something like that. I Two believe. guys from Akron, Ohio, my hometown. Yeah, got brought, s- they were there for the game. Yeah, and by his crew or whatever, his crew, and nobody ever found the white suit because they wanted to see if the white suit would have been evidence because it had been blood on it. Been, nope, nobody, the white suit was gone. <laughs> <laughs> who throws away a white suit? Where's the white suit go? <laughs> Where's the white suit? Who throws away a suit? And that was Where's when the, the Ravens suit goes? Like, had hey, that man. historically great defense and beat the what Giants in that Super Bowl. Ray Lewis's white suit. What happened? That was in Atlanta. By the way, as we said, there were three Super Bowls played on this day, uh, January 30th. <laughs> that one you went to, the yeah. Kevin Dyson one yard short, Titans Rams, uh, in the Georgia Dome. Ten years previous in that same building, the Georgia Dome, was Cowboys Bills. And the Cowboys won that Super Bowl. They beat Buffalo, their second uh, in a row. And that was the game in which uh, Emmett Smith lost his helmet. But I lost oh, it. Like somebody stole his helmet. Stole his helmet. <laughs> stole his helmet. <laughs> and then gave it back. Yeah, like anonymous tip gave it back to him. In time for the Super Bowl parade for Emmett Smith back then. And then, uh, so yeah, both in the Georgia Dome, 10 years apart. Also a Washington uh, racial slur football win with uh, John Riggins running all over people in a Super Bowl over the Raiders. Uh, that was on this day as well. Yeah. So three different Super Bowls were played on January 30th. Yes, yeah, so it was. It was. Uh, so it remains an unsolved case, by the way, those those two murders. Oh, yeah. They still haven't found out who did it. Uh, they said nobody was convicted for or confessed to the fatal stabbings of two men outside of a nightclub in uh, the city's Buckhead district. Only one person, Hall of Fame linebacker Ray Lewis, pleaded guilty to a crime related to their deaths for obstructing justice because they couldn't find his damn suit. <laughs> Lewis did a standout for the Ravens, didn't play in the game, uh, didn't play in that game on January 30, 2000. He came to Atlanta to party instead, dressing for the nightlife in a cream-colored suit with a mock neck sweater and a Stetson hat. But that suit hasn't been seen in public since that night. Uh, Lewis's limousine left the bloody crime scene, leading to a question, what happened to the cream-colored suit? Nobody ever knows. Absolutely. It's All gone. Right. Gone for life. Think we may what, do you think, what do you think he did with the cream club suit, though? What do you think he did? I'm not saying he was involved in the stabbing or anything, but there was obviously some I blood on it. I think Ray Lewis knows something that he hasn't shared, and I do think there might have been some evidence. And, he, you know, whether he did or not, I don't think he did. I think – but he didn't want anybody to Evidence that he was right there yeah. Yeah, on yeah. the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, well, that's an unsolved case. Where's that white suit at? <laughs> that's crazy. That was a while. I forgot all about that. Ray Lewis. Yeah. Dear Antlers, Ray. Yeah, last of his controversies so that out there. Was, uh, yeah, Super Bowls covered, right? Those are fun. This Those are always some weird. A, this would be a good one to be in Vegas. Didn't the, didn't the Atlanta Falcons player have? Was that that safety? 
who won like Man of the Year before the Super Bowl oh, got caught the, with like a hooker. hooker. Yeah. <laughs> before the Super Bowl. It's yeah. Remember Barrett Robbins? You remember that story? The yes. Raiders, like yeah, old lineman, went, went a wall before the Super Bowl, yeah, and had like a psychotic episode that, or something. I think that Atlanta game was Eugene Robinson. That was Eugene Robinson. He was like man of the year. And then he got, got caught with a hooker. Prostitute. Yeah, the, yes. get ready for the game. <laughs> he said, "I was man of the year already." Well, I know what game that was. That was the second of the Broncos back to back. It was. And it remember was. that game. That was a dirty bird. Super Bowl. Same dirty, dirty bird. bird yeah. yeah. That Super Bowl was supposed to be the Denver Broncos playing. What would have been the 15 and 1 Minnesota Vikings? That oh, team, they, they missed the field goal. Got, you're right. That should have been one of the great Super Bowls of like, all time. Was that the Randy Moss Vikings yes. with Randall yes. Cunningham? Was Randall yeah. Cunningham? Randall Cunningham. Yeah. Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Robert, Robert, Robert Smith. Smith. They were oh, great. they were loaded. And they were so good. And then their kicker, Gary Anderson, who hadn't missed oh, a kick all year. Veteran, too. Missed Gary. a kick. And that sent Atlanta and Chris Chandelier. Uh, Chris Chandler to the Super Bowl, and they got crushed by the Honestly, John Elway. Minnesota probably would have won that Super Bowl. Football's all matchups. They might have won that Super Bowl. Yeah, and that was a fourteen and two Denver team that could have gone sixteen and zero that year with Elway and Terrell Davis, Dan Neal. Dan Neal, my good buddy, was a part of that team. Lifetime Longhorn. He was a starting offensive lineman on that team, and uh, that would have been an epic Super Bowl to have fifteen and one against fourteen and two. Instead, yeah. it was the Dirty Bird, and they had no chance. <laughs> no chance. And John Elway retired. <laughs> All right, we'll come back when we do. Uh, Rod will take us behind the burn orange curtain one more time. We're actually watching right now on. Uh, uh, NFL Network, some live coverage of the Senior Bowl where a couple of Longhorns are getting after. We'll get you details on that coming up with Rod. We'll also uh, get some what's popping for the end of the hour. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Yeah, Rod's going to tell you coming up in behind the BOC why the uh, what once was an eight-person Longhorn contingent to the Senior Bowl it's down to two, two Longhorns going through the practices. Uh, did various reasons. Rod will explain. Also, uh, talk Texas basketball throughout the morning. Disappointing loss last night. Hard-fought game. Great game. Great scene. Everybody that was there that texted in talked about the environment. That's what that's what you love about the Moody Center, man. When it gets rocking, it is such a different environment than we had with uh, the Irwin Center for so oh, long. Yeah, man. It is phenomenal. I didn't realize until I watched the game against BYU. Look, I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about BYU basketball in coming into this year. But that, that, that Marriott Center they play in in Provo is uh, 18,000 seats. Massive. That's huge for uh, a basketball arena. That is big for a basketball arena. Well, the biggest is Kentucky, right? Kentucky has. Yeah, but Kentucky is Kentucky basketball. Yeah, well, <laughs> BYU's got a big fan base. Uh, yeah, but they're not a brand like Kentucky basketball. That's what I'm saying. I was surprised it was that large. And it was packed. That place was a great environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18,000. Kentucky's got like 23,000. So maybe that's just nothing to do in Provo. And they figure <laughs> yeah. this, when we have a basketball game, people are coming. Yeah. Okay. And uh, they were a good team. I, I, they played a lot better than I had seen them play in their previous two games. And then Texas, of course, you know, played no defense. And last night it was about the first half where the Longhorns really didn't match the intensity, found themselves down 12, um, got it to eight by halftime. And actually, I, I thought outplayed Houston pretty pretty significantly in the second half. They outscored them in the second half. They did yeah. by eight, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, to get it back to overtime. And but just you know some critical critical misses and then the uh, as I said the the single biggest factor in my mind was the um, second chance points, offensive glass was where Houston owned the game, and um, you know, getting their own rebounds and and putbacks and you know you got to get those against a team like that that are so hard to score against you got to get the ball off their glass and you got to can't give them second chance buckets because especially in that key run at the end and into overtime 
because, as you just heard, if you were listening to who said that with Kelvin Sampson talking about Kendall Weaver, Kendall Weaver, uh, you know, Jamal Shedd got 25 points last night, the kid from Maynor. Yep. But Kendall Weaver was doing a real good job on him late in the game. Made him work for it. And they were really denying him the ball. So L.J. Cryer was taking the bad shots you wanted him to take, and Texas couldn't get the rebound too many times even on some free throws that uh, they couldn't get the board. And Dylan Mitchell, this is the, the Dylan Mitchell conundrum. He's not skilled enough to play the three on the wing. But not big. And He's not physical enough to play the four, to play the four yeah. but that's where you have to play him. So he's a tweener for, for you. And so he was getting shoved around last night. I mean, he was just – And U of shoves everybody around. Yeah, they do. And, you know, Dylan Mitchell to this point is a sophomore who's still pretty light in the butt, as they say. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, got, he got pushed around a little bit last night. And, you know, Caden Shedrick, because of the back issue, I guess, is not bringing you much as far as physicality. Dylan DeSue is your one, you know, big because they, don't, they really don't have one right now. And that's, that's yeah. the challenge, right? And the fact that I thought Jerry Hamilton said it right on. If you're going to be a finesse team, which they are right now um, because of the roster, and you can blame, if you want to point fingers, Rodney Terry built the roster. Chris Beard was always big on tenacity and tough guys and bulldogs, and that was his, his like. Rodney wanted to be a little more open, open yeah. floor and scoring yeah. uh, with the good defense. But if you're going to be a kind of a finesse team, uh, you, you almost got to be near perfect on offense to beat a top five team, and they weren't last night. Yeah, well, especially with the slow starts from some of the key guys. Yeah. From, from Max well, and Aces did nothing in the first exactly. that 20, was, 15, yeah. 20 minutes of the basketball game. Uh, so and they lit up in the second half, and that's why they almost won the game. So it was fun. It was fun atmosphere. But in the end, the Longhorns are one and three at home in the Big Twelve, and they're you know, they're they're careening towards a team that will make the tournament. They got they got chances, but they got a lot of tough games coming. It's the Big Twelve, which which comes at you over and over and over again, including TCU on Saturday. Seven out of the next ten versus ranked opponents. I don't know that won't <clears throat> that won't obviously uh, last because the the rankings will change, but. Most of your games will be versus ranked opponents. Yeah, TCU's now ranked uh, yeah. as of this week, which means there'll be a fifth straight ranked opponent when they play them on Saturday. Um, they've gone two and two so far against the ranked opponents, which they got the Baylor win, they got the uh, which is OU good. win. That's, that's actually great. good. But yeah. then unranked opponents. Well, that's why we said when it happened, the first three, four games were killer at this point for Texas. And, look, let me – because you can bridge – you can ride the fence on Rodney Terry. We said – as he was trying to build this team, it was going to be frustrating to try to insert Dylan DeSue to become the best player and go-to guy right before conference play, which they did. He didn't get back on the floor until Christmas. So the first part of conference play, you're trying to work Dylan DeSue back into the offense, a guy they hadn't played with. Um, you know, that's a challenge. And the first three games of conference, they lost to Tech, they lost to West Virginia, and they lost to Central Florida. Yep. I do think if they could play those games over, now that they've got more experience playing together, they would have done a lot better, but you can't do that. And that's 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 in defense of Rodney Terry that he couldn't do anything about Dylan DeSue's injury and how long it was going to take to be cleared and get him back on the floor, and that's a big part of this. And now when they have DeSue and Aismas, and oh, they're yeah. playing a good brand of defense, and they put Dylan Mitchell back to the four, you've got to put up with some issues rebounding, but he's bringing you a lot. I mean, Dylan Mitchell ended up 16 points, 10 rebounds last night. He was very active. This is a team that can win games, but oh, yeah. it's taken a bit to get here, and now they might have dug themselves too big a hole, especially in those first four games. Yeah, the Big 12, you just don't have time to regroup. There's no time to regroup or recalibrate. Yeah. You start off well, slow, you, you dug yourself too much of a hole. They, they would have to become the hottest team in the Big 12 yes. for the next two weeks. Yep, and it was almost predictable based on the timeline and the calendar of Dylan DeSue. I mean, you, if you could have gotten Dylan DeSue back a month earlier, to play in some of those early season games, to play and get familiar. Remember, this is a whole new roster. They yeah. never played with the guy yeah. uh, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're learning to play with him, and he's learning to play with you against you know, Texas Tech, West Virginia, those kind of teams early, and that's been a challenge. And now you look at a situation, you said seven of the next ten against ranked, including road trips to Kansas, Houston, Baylor, 
uh, and Texas Tech. Yeah. Trying to win on the road. In college <laughs> basketball today is just really tough, period, especially when you're a team like Texas still trying to fit, find your identity and your brand of basketball. You ain't going to be able to win. You win on the road is when you take your it's when you take your brand of basketball, whatever it is, your identity, and then you double down on it on the road. This is who we are. Yeah, that's right. Texas, that's right. you know, I think they struggle with that a little bit. And at home, you got to protect home, and they have not done that well. All right. One more time. Let's go behind the burnt orange curtain with Let's RB. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What? What? is behind that curtain. All right, a couple of uh, quick uh, senior bowl updates. Um, I said this earlier, threw this out there, and I saw this from Matt Miller, uh, who does a really good job. He does draft analysis for ESPN. Used to do it for Bleacher Report back in the day. Used to work on his own. But he does good stuff at NFL Draft Scout. He pointed this out, that defensive tackle Tavondre Sweat uh, the Allen Trophy winner opted to not weigh in at the Senior Bowl. Uh, so it was listed at 362 by the Longhorns at 6'4". His NFL scouting combine weigh-in becomes that much more interesting. Usually your agent or your representatives, they will tell you not to or to avoid testing in something or testing whatever is may be considered your weakest skill or your weakest trait as a player. So if you are a player that people are questioning your 40-yard dash time, then you probably want to hold off on running the 40 until you absolutely have to or when you're in the best controlled, favorable environment to run the 40. Uh, for a defensive tackle like Devondre Sweat, people are probably being really critical because it is scouting season, and scouting season is all about – what a player, what 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 his skill set lacks, right? What his skill set is lacking. Anybody can look at a player and go, this player does A, B, and C well. That takes it. That's an untrained eye. Uh, a trained eye is really what can tell you what the player needs to be coached up on and what they are lacking in their skill set. That's what a tra- that's what Jerry Jerry Hamilton can do really well for you, uh, and other guys like that. So for Tavondre Sweat, I think the biggest question mark about him is is his weight under control. Or is his weight something that will get out of control, and will that limit his uh, ceiling, and that limit his achievement as a player? And usually, hell, in the NFL, if they think that, they'll put in your contract straight up. They'll just put in your contract if you go this so many pounds over this weight limit that you owe this much money, and you'll get fined weekly or however often you're over that weight limit. Uh, you want to avoid that if you can. I guarantee you, Tavondre Sweat's agent is telling him. Don't weigh in until you have to. The last possible, you know, point you can uh, obviously delay that, delay it. Maybe it's the combine. Maybe it's pro days at Texas. I think the combine, they're almost going to compel you <laughs> uh, to, to weigh in at the combine. You don't have to always test at the combine, but I believe the weight and the height, I don't know if that's negotiable. Maybe it is. I mean, who knows? You tell them whatever the hell you want to do. I, they, they, you, don't have an, you don't have an agent representing you. You're, in, you're, in, you're actually in purgatory there because you're not a player yet. So the Players Association, they don't really have any say over, over what's, what's happening there. And you're not a player under the umbrella of the NFL yet. So they really don't have any you know, say over what you do either. Um, I think, honestly, it's more of your agent and whether your agent thinks that's the, the right environment for you to test or whatever. So Tavondre Sweat, biggest question mark for him is wait. We know that now based on that tweet. And he'll probably try to come in in 355, 350 range, probably try to lose 10 maybe 12 pounds, um, and then he'll be seen as a little bit lighter and maybe his weight won't be an issue. But if he's at 360-something when he gets there, there will be some coaches concerned that he may get to 370. He may get to 380. And can he play at that weight? 
Yeah, no, that's going to be the challenge, and you don't want you want it to be around three fifty. Because what you can't coach is his quickness and his feet at and his, yes, and his agility feet, at that size, his ability to move and 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 shed at that size. But you don't want to get much bigger than that because mm. three fifty is plenty big. Oh, in the NFL, that's plenty. Like I said, you're you're a big guy in the league already. If he's at three sixty, hovering around three seventy, I think NFL teams may think that's a problem. Uh, so, so other updates from the Senior Bowl. Uh, shout out to my man Eric Henry. Shout out to my man uh, CB. Sent me some of these updates too. Chris GB double zero two thousand. Um, Eric Henry is claiming Jalen Ford not listed on the roster of participants for the Senior Bowl. Neither is Byron Murphy because Byron Murphy is dealing with an injury. He went there, I think, to shake some hands and to show his face, but I don't necessarily think he is uh, working out or participating because of an injury. Jordan Whittington, also not listed on the online roster for the Senior Bowl. Um, So you have multiple players now uh, who have decided they're going to pass on working out and participating in the Senior Bowl because of little injuries and nicks. If you're even... Even if you have a small injury that you could play through, if you have something that really is considered minor, there's no point in exacerbating that injury or taking the chance on re-injuring or exacerbating that injury in a, in a senior bowl. So that's why most of these guys are deciding to pass on it. And I don't think NFL scouts will, will, will see it in a negative way or will, be, or will count that as a negative data point on their evaluation because they do it either. That's, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. So No. Mm. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, if you're Byron Murphy and you're already being seen as a top 20, top 25 pick, you can only hurt yourself in that, mind, in that game. They've got your tape. They'll get to see you at the combine and your pro day. Uh, you know, verify what they see on tape. You know, a guy like Michael Penix actually can help himself a lot at the Senior Bowl, right, uh, going in there and showing the ability to throw into tight windows and, and get in front of those guys. I don't know that Byron Murphy can do much. Jalen Ford, even, you know, as a linebacker, yeah. especially if you're not 100%. Yeah. If you're 90%. You got ten percent. You still need to. It doesn't. It doesn't help you. I agree with that one hundred percent. And uh, the one little nugget I wanted to bring up since you talked about Byron Murphy not being able to improve his draft stock. Yeah, I don't know if there. If you listen to Dane Brugler, if you're listening to Dane Brugler, I'm not sure that Byron Murphy can do much at all to improve his draft stock. So according to Brugler, this is a tweet from yesterday. Uh, he said, seeing Texas D tackle Byron Murphy appear in the top 20 of more and more mock drafts. No surprise there. Winking emoji. Unfortunately, no Murphy this week at the Senior Bowl. He's resting a minor late season injury. Will be good for the combine. So he is implying, based on that tweet and this one from Earl, from two weeks ago, Byron Murphy went number 16 overall in my mock. This is Dane Brugler. And I think he'll be somewhere in that mid-first range. No D-tackle was more consistently disruptive on film this season versus both the pass and versus the run than Murphy. Love his quickness and handiwork. If you just, you know, look at Mel Kuyper's mock draft, and I know obviously Dane Brugler and Mel Kuyper aren't working together, but uh, they are two of the best draft analysts out there. Mel Kuyper has four defensive players, I believe, taken in his top 16 is where Dave Brugler says that, you know, Byron Murphy may end up. Now, that he doesn't have Byron Murphy in his top 16, but he's only got four defensive players. So if Dane Brugler is correct and Byron Murphy ends up somewhere in the top 16, top 20, he'll be one of the top five highest drafted defensive players, period. And I don't think we were thinking that for Byron Murphy uh, during the season. So he, this is before he even works out. He's already shooting up draft boards. This is from film study that he's shooting up these draft boards. Imagine what happens when he actually works out. Because remember, he's also he also made that list of biggest freaks, physical freaks in college football. Bruce Feldman. Uh, yeah. So the guy's got some physical tools that are also really impressive. 
Yeah, well, that's that, that's why you that's when you go in the top mm-hmm. fifteen because you your motor never stops. You're a high energy guy, great teammate, and yeah, you got freakish skill. And you're only a junior, right? He's only been a three year player, so he's going to be twenty twenty one years old when he gets onto your team. Yep. Um, and and again, in the middle of the first round, I know at the top you're trying to draft quarterbacks and impact receivers and tackles. Middle of the first round, and you can take a Zach Martin. And he's going to play right guard for you for 12 years. Yep. Or you can take a, a defensive tackle that if he stays healthy, he's going to play for you for 10 years. And you know what you're getting. Uh, you know, that, that that's worth a lot, right? The, 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 the low floor. But we know he's got some elite traits, too, mm-hmm. so it could get even better. But, man, he's going to be a real good player for us. No, you're right about that. I mean, that's yeah. That's what I'm looking for in the you know 15 on or you know anything in the top 15. I'm looking for something that can be impact. Anything after that, if I can get somebody that's like like Tyler Smith for the Cowboys, right? Mm-hmm. They draft him at 23. Oh, yeah. He gonna play for them for a long time. Well, like um, you just say Tyler. I thought you were going go with Linderbaum, the uh, the center for the Absolutely. Ravens. One of those players, kind of like that too. Hell, Jack Campbell and. Jameer Gibbs is kind of like that for the for the for the Lions. That's right. Yeah, those are good players for a long time. Uh, you you are looking for explosion, but at the same time, you know that ten years worth of consistency is worth a lot too. Uh, at, at a at a good position. So yeah, good stuff right there from Rod. Uh, speaking of that, can I play you something? Yes, sir. Hey, Ty, Ty, I just sent you a piece of audio. I wanted to play for Rod because I found it the other day, and you played for Mike Tomlin mm-hmm. with the with the Buccaneers, and listen to Mike Tomlin. He was on that podcast that Ryan Clark and those guys do. The Pivot Podcast. Oh, yeah. And you're going to love this. Listen to this because you get on coaches for not coaching all the time. This is Mike Tomlin on uh, what he sees out there that maybe with other coaches that frustrates him. Talking about how poor somebody's hand usage is. Well, that's coaching. Mm. I don't run away from coaching. I run to coaching. Love it. It all is in line with that not seeking comfort because when you're a coach that's talking about somebody can't learn, you're seeking comfort. Because your teaching is struggling. Mm. Yep. There you go. <laughs> no, I, I feel the same way. Honestly, I was saying the exact same thing, like, Texas Sark's first year. I was like, listen, I know that the roster is limited, but you still got to coach. <laughs> yeah. I need these players to get better. I don't, they, they can't get worse as the season goes on. They need to be getting better. So, they, I love that. I don't run from coaching. If a guy doesn't have – he's lacking in his skill set, that's your job as a coach yeah. to improve it. Oh, coach – I would trade for that guy if I was somebody. I know Stills still would let him go, but I would try to trade for Tom. I think he's a hell of a coach. Just phenomenal. Yeah, and you feel like if the Steelers can get find a quarterback. quarterback. Go get that guy a quarterback, please. Yeah. Come on. And it, not, not Mason Rudolph. And not Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett. Come on, man. That's not popping. Uh, what's <laughs> popping is coming next, uh, including the TV ratings in on the uh, awesome. AFC Championship game. We'll get that coming up. Also, the other big popping issues of a Tuesday. Let's get them. Come back. What's poppin'? Brand new whip, just hopped in. I got options. I can pass that bitch like stocking. Just joshing. I'm spending this holiday locked in. My body got rid of them toxins. Sports in the top ten. I can put the ball in it. All right, this is poppin'. If you're uh, a fan of football or just we continue the growth of the sport and the TV show that it is, Chiefs Ravens, most watched AFC Championship game ever, Rod. 40-55.47 million viewers. Wow. Tuned into the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and Ravens. A 17% increase over a comparable window of last year, which featured. Now, this game, you know, 17% is a huge jump. People are immediately going to talk about Taylor Swift. But mm-hmm. the last year's game was in, it was in this 2 o'clock time slot was the 49ers-Eagles game that was unwatchable because the Niners didn't have a quarterback after the first oh, quarter. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And there was a high tune-out <laughs> factor. Yeah. That game would have gone gangbusters if mm. Brock Purdy had played the whole game, I yep, believe. Forgot about that. 
And, and the reason these ratings are so high, don't forget, a few years ago, like five years ago, um, remember they changed the, the Nielsen ratings uh, metrics where now they allow bars in, like, hotels. Yeah, restaurants. Restaurants. Now they count as a part of the rating. Remember, they didn't. Before, like, five years ago, they didn't count that That's at not all. accounting for a lot of people. It was all high. Exactly. <laughs> like, you go out to watch the game, they didn't count you. So now they actually count that. I think that's actually why it's added sure to too. it, too. Yeah. Uh, but that's a big one, most ever. Now we'll get the NFC numbers here coming up, I would imagine, with the and that, oh, that Lions game was oh, so compelling. No doubt. Especially the Lions, probably the best story in the playoffs. Oh, they were. They were. Yeah. And fun to watch, too, uh, for a that's half true. until they melted down. Nah. It's okay. It's all right. Well, you don't get Hope, there often. Yeah, they don't. They say hopefully they'll be back, but you never know. Hey, Rod, have a great Tuesday. You too, brother. Ty, have a great Tuesday. Any uh, any wagers tonight, or are you taking it easy? Ooh. Taking it easy. Taking it easy. Like that. All right. Everybody have a great Tuesday. It's beautiful out. Enjoy that with the sunshine after what we dealt with last week. Uh, we've earned some good weather. You'll get that. And uh, we'll do this at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning with all the latest five-hour, our five-hour morning-by-morning conversation, all of the hours podcast at hornfm.com.